0: My first single didn't get radio and that meant that the money tap got turned off and that wasn't my A&R's fault or anybody that I knew, that's like the finance people that I, I never met um, who just look at the figures They go, she hasn't got radio so we have,
1: to, we have to turn the money tap off. Welcome to Dauntless Creators. From speaking to the self-releasing artist to the head of A&R at Universal Music, I hope to give you a better idea whether you're an artist or aspiring CEO, on how to navigate your way through this unpredictable yet exciting industry. See you on the other side. I'm your host, Nina Rebessa, and on today's show, I speak to Lauren Aquilina. Over the past year, Lauren has focused on writing for other artists, and despite being only 22 years old, she's becoming one of the UK's most exciting and versatile new top liners. In her first 12 months, she's already been working with Ella Henderson, Little Mix, and Kylie Minogue, as well as many notable writers in LA, including Toby Grad and Sarah Hudson. Having previously been signed to Island Records as a singer songwriter, Lauren shares her firsthand experience of being a young, newly signed artist, why she walked away, and how she's now rebuilding her career. Enjoy. Lauren, welcome! Thank you so much for taking you. the time to be here.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Um, so I want to. I want to really just jump right in. Um, talk about the first. Talk talk about the first time you fell in love with music. The first song. Do you, was there a song?
0: Um, I don't know if there was like a first song. I know that I was singing as soon as I could talk, mm-hmm. and my mum. My mum doesn't play music, but she loves music, so we, and she loves pop music, so we listen to a lot of, like, you know how a a lot of musicians grew up on, like, really cool, like, they grew up on, like, Joni Mitchell or Mm -hmm. something? I did not grow up on that. I grew up on, like, Coldplay. I grew up on, like, Razorlight. I grew up on, um, 90s house music, and I think one of my earliest memories is, like, uh, my mum and my brother and I are, like, driving... Around um, Bristol, which is where I grew up, and she would just have like house music blaring in the car, and I remember feeling like very euphoric, um, just to be driving and being like, "Woo!" So that's like probably one of my earliest. Memories of music, um, but there was so much going on. I also like can't really remember that much of my life in general before I was about like 10 So because right. <laughs> um, I've like blacked out that part of my life for whatever reason I think probably because my parents divorced or whatever, you know what kids do to like That'll uh, do it, that'll yeah. do it <laughs> um, But yeah, it was I don't really there's no there was no moment for me where I was like oh This is what I want to do. It was just like it was literally from birth like that is mm. what I'm gonna do
1: so then you, you started a YouTube channel and you started uploading those covers, right? And that mm-hmm. kind of, that, your following grew quite organically. Yeah. Um, do you want me to talk about that process a little bit?
0: Yeah. So I, um, I didn't intend to be a YouTuber, but, um, I, I had a, this friend from school who was like a year above me and she, she was like, oh, you should come to this open mic night and sing. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. And I was like 13 at the time. Um. Anyway, she like dragged me along to this open mic night in in Windsor, which is when I then lived. Um, And I sang two songs. I think I sang an original song that I'd written at the time, which was called Just Know That I Loved You. Mm -hmm. I was 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I sang a Lady Gaga cover, and my mum was there filming the whole thing. And when we got home, she was like, you should put this Lady Gaga cover online and I was like oh no I don't know if that's what I want to do she was like no you should do it so she's kind of she kind of started the YouTube channel I guess and we, we put it up and then I was like oh this is cool and then I started like filming myself in my bedroom singing songs it kind of happened naturally but over I did that for like four years and um I over time like without really realizing got really good at knowing what to do so um For example there was this Justin Bieber song that leaked and I had the day off school that day and I decided to cover it that day because I knew that people would be searching for it because it hadn't even come out yet. Mm -hmm. I knew if I was one of the first people to get it up on YouTube that I'd probably get more views and it did and it got like a quarter of a million views in a week or something. Mm so that was, like, my first, like, viral video at the time. Right.
1: Um, so for four years before that, the, the following wasn't very, it wasn't as big I think like that, that was,
0: like, two years in, actually. Okay. Um, but it it, st- it didn't mean I had a massive spike in my followers. I still kind of grew naturally. But I also was uploading a lot of originals as well as covers, so I wasn't sort of being pinpointed as this just cover girl. Um, so I, what, People knew that I wrote music as well, and then... I sort of brought people over to Twitter that way and Facebook and Instagram and started to connect with people there because I found those easier to connect with people on rather than YouTube because, you know, you can actually like have conversations with people there. So, um, yeah, it all happened over quite a long period of time. It definitely wasn't like an overnight success kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I th- that's funny, I think, because a lot of people, I think, they see success, and they think it happens overnight. Mm-hmm. So for you to for anybody who's maybe interested in kind of doing something similar, what is the one thing that you've learned that's the most important that you'd like to share?
0: Um, I mean, patience is definitely important. Um, even, even for me, that's still a lesson that I'm learning now. I'm still, you know, the music industry, especially when you're a woman, sort of tells you that you have to be successful and you have to have reached your peak by 21, otherwise you're never going to make it, or, you know. Yeah. Um, and it fe- and it feels like girls are coming out younger and younger. I remember when Lord first came out, I was like, oh, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> you know, she's so young. And now, like, Billie Eilish and people like that are so young and so amazing. And I just wasn't that amazing at that age. It took, it took me, like, seven years to grow into it. So I think patience is key and, and knowing not to, like not to go too hard before you're ready because, you know, whatever you put out first is going to be out there forever probably. So you want to make sure that you're proud of it and Mm -hmm. you don't want to put stuff out just because you feel like that's what you should do. Um, So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Very
1: good piece of advice. (laughs) And so, um, you know, following, you know, all the success you had on YouTube, you kind of, you got your, your first manager and then he signed you um, to an island. Uh-huh. Can you please ex- talk about that experience? Um,
0: well, I met him, like, he just, uh, he just, I think he messaged me on, like, YouTube mail or whatever it was at the time. Um, and we started working together, um, had a lot of success with my f- first three EPs, um, which we put out independently, sorry. Um, and he was... Uh, We didn't have any money, so you know, I had this one producer that I knew, and instead of paying him, I was just giving him ten percent publishing on the songs because I was writing all the songs myself at that stage. I wasn't co-writing, and we had a lot of success, unexpected success. But we did work really hard, Um, and then I started. um, I actually started getting record deal offers um, after the the first EP, but my mum was like very insistent that I would finish school until I was 18 and then I would be allowed. Mm -hmm. So I I stuck it out, released two more EPs and then um, started talking to more labels and saw who was interested. Some people actually weren't interested in me, they were just interested in the numbers and they didn't really like my music but they were just very confused about how I got so many um, sales. and they just wanted to know, like, our secret or whatever. It was very strange. I had a lot of, like, men talk down to me. and um, But I found this one, um, A&R, who I absolutely loved. He was um, he was coming to all of my shows, and I could see him in the audience singing every word to every song. Like, he was a true fan. Um, and his name was Alistair, and he worked at Ireland. Um, and I just knew I wanted to sign to him. I wanted to sign to somebody who believed in me that much, so... I signed to him, um, and obviously, it's weird when you've like, spent your whole life thinking that a record deal means success, because they're mm-hmm. not equal to each other. Um, Can
1: you elaborate a bit on that?
0: Well, I, I always used to, you know, I didn't even know what a record deal was until I had one, until I was a year into having one. And I'd spent my whole life telling people that I was going to get a record deal without knowing what it was. I just thought that meant success. I thought that meant that that, that was it. You were going to be a pop star. Um, so it was weird when I actually signed. It was like, oh, I have money now. I have money in my bank account. I can budget for the next three to five years. I can spend money on clothes now, you know. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, like nothing really changed it just meant that I had more um more cooks basically Mm. and more opinions um sometimes that was a good thing sometimes that was a bad thing um but as we talked about before I then had a sort of different experience um because I had this sort of big falling out with my first manager that I can't go into too much detail about but that meant that for a year of my record deal i was managing myself and you know i was coping and i was doing an okay job but obviously i wasn't able to focus on being creative which is what i should have been doing and that meant that my album took a long time to make you know i was signed for three years before my album came out and almost three years without releasing music so by the time The album came out obviously a lot of people had lost interest because I'd lost that momentum which I had before I signed that's nobody's fault really um but that's why I say about patience as well because I think once you go you have to be ready to go the whole way Mm -hmm. like you can't I don't think you can like take a break then you know you can I think you can after your first album or whatever or maybe it's changing now because albums don't even exist anymore Mm -hmm. but in my time (laughs) um you would you'd have to go all the way until you did your first album campaign. And then if you wanted to take a year off, I guess you could. It depends how successful you are. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up yeah. where I am now, like the very content condensed version.
1: And, and how, so how did it feel like when you went to these <clears throat> meetings and you felt like people didn't really care about you mm. and your music? Like, how, how
0: did you... Well, I wasn't really processing it at the time because I was, like, 17 or 18 and I was just so excited to even be in the label building.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like,
0: <laughs> looking around at all the plaques and you couldn't believe I was there. And um, I wasn't really processing it and it was only, like, a couple of years later I looked back on the meetings and was like, oh, that was actually really shit or whatever, you know, Christ. and the way I was treated. Um, and also I just... I was used to being talked down to... As a woman, um, and then the second, I managed myself for a bit after the first manager, and then I got a new manager, uh, my second manager, <laughs> who was um, this amazing girl, and that changed everything because then I like actually started realizing what it's like to be a woman in the music industry and how different it is, um, even from the way that people spoke to her, you know, and I would see that um, just like a complete lack of respect. Um, I think we're, like, we're starting to get somewhere now and there's starting to be a conversation about it, but it's still, like, a really... We have a long way to go, I think.
1: Yeah. And what do you think is maybe one of the most important things that people need to address when it comes to, like, equality in the music industry?
0: I think just, like, even on a base level of just visibility and giving and just... Maybe right now, um... We have to make the extra effort to put females at the forefront. Like, maybe it, because there are more men everywhere, because they've been taught from a young age that they can do it, and it's, it's harder for a woman to think, oh, I could do that growing up. So that's why there is less women now, but obviously there shouldn't be. Um, so the first stage is like, maybe we do have to push a bit harder, we have to go that extra effort to make sure that the festival lineups are 50 50. Um, and pledge that and that might take more effort than just booking all male bands because there's loads of male bands maybe there are less female bands, but We have to get the visibility for young girls to see that they can do it and for them then to grow up and and be in it, you know um, So I think that's like the most important thing and then obviously just you know all the other stuff like sexual harassment and all that kind of thing we just the conversation is finally starting Um Charlie Walk's been fired from Republic um, and you know it's weird in the music industry because we're all tied into these like five-year-long contracts it's not like the film industry where it's just one movie contract and then you're out of it and then you can talk about it you know we're all tied into these things so it's more difficult but we are we are getting there and I think the conversation needs to continue for sure and I will be doing all I can to try and make sure that the momentum keeps up with that because I think it's so important.
1: Yeah, to, to actually speak up uh, speak up about it. Yeah. It? And yeah. I think I think it's great to see, you know, artists and, you know, people who work in the business side alike who are who are finally talking about it. And I think it sends a right the right message yeah. to um to like young girls who so wanna sure. come into this industry. Um, yeah. So we, um obviously you're no longer with Island. Mm-hmm. Can you share how that how that disintegrated?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, they were, um, I obviously had like a bit of a rough ride in general, but I I think they, I don't blame anyone at Island. Um, and towards the end of my career as an artist, like the sort of six months leading up to my album coming out, I was severely depressed. I was just locked in this apartment by myself. I wasn't doing anything because my first single didn't get radio. And that meant that the money tap got turned off, and that wasn't my AR's fault, or anybody that I knew, that's like the finance people that I I never met, um, who just look at the figures, they go, she hasn't got radio, so we have to, we have to turn the money tap off, we spent half a million on this album, or whatever, Mm. so I get that, um, but that meant that I had to cancel all my festivals, my touring, my promo, and it meant I was just stuck in my flat, and that made me really depressed, um, so I think it was like, Maybe a week or so after my album came out, um, that I called up the head of NR Island. I told him what had been going on. Um, I just said, "Please um, let me go. Um, that's all I want." And he was like, "Yeah, no problem. Like, we just want the best for you." And that was the best thing they ever did for me was letting me go, no strings. And I, pro- I probably would have been, uh, air quotes, dropped mm-hmm. um, anyway down the line because obviously. The album didn't wasn't a commercial success and it didn't make money and at the end of the day labels are businesses um, so I've, I'm assuming I would have been dropped anyway um, but you've got to leave before you get left yeah. in the words of Taylor Swift
1: <laughs> <laughs> As <girl she> is. <laughs> um,
0: no I mean I think it was probably good a good thing for me that I did do that and sort of leave before I got left kind of thing mm-hmm. um, just for my own mental health but I know obviously I would have ended up being dropped anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still have a good relationship with them and I still even go in the office sometimes and see them and stuff, so mm-hmm. pretty cool. Well,
1: that's good. I think that's, you know, yeah. having a good relationship is... I think relationships are really important in this industry, mm-hmm. aren't they? Of course. Um, but I, you know, I think it's interesting because a lot of artists, I think, as as you did, aspire to be signed by a major label mm-hmm. without really understanding what it what that means. Yeah. You know? Um, so what are, like... What are two pieces of insight that you can give about the experience working with a major that um, you didn't know before?
0: The main thing is that you, I was, I'm definitely under the impression that that was where my work was done. And I was sort of like passing the baton to somebody else then. I'd i done all the work to make myself into this artist, this product that people had bought into. And I thought I was just passing the baton to the label and then all I was going to have to do was sing and write songs and they were just going to make me a star. And that's not true. Like, the when you sign is really when the hard work begins. Like, you think that's when it's, like, you think it's a celebration, and it is, but it's actually, like, oh, I'm going to have to work really hard now. Um, so that was, like, the main thing that I didn't know. Um, and also, like, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't clued up enough on what I was actually signing. Like, I am really lucky. I have a great lawyer. Um... Wow and that that's like another piece of advice I would recommend to anybody who's got a really good lawyer. Um, but I didn't really know what I was signing. I didn't know that I was giving away the rights to my masters. I didn't know all of that. Um, and that's something that I do know about deals now at 22. Um, but even just in that, you know, four year gap is such a, um, such a difference. So if you can get clued up on contracts and what you're signing just a little bit, like I think that's a really amazing thing. I think we should be teaching that as well to people who want to be artists in some ways.
1: Yeah, because we were talking about this last time we met about how you know like, being an artist is like running your own business or mm-hmm. a CEO yeah. in your own business. I think um, I think more artists need to hear that and, and need to understand that. Yeah. Because um, now you're very much you very much treat your career as a business, don't you? And yeah. You kind of are very much more clued up. Um, do you want to yeah share a little bit of about what what you're up to now and
0: so um, so yeah when I um, I left Ireland um, got myself out of the deal I didn't know exactly what I was gonna do mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I had like so I left my deal in like September and then from September to Christmas I had like a few writing sessions in my diary um, just like last ones I think that I was going to honour and I wasn't going to cancel them but I think I um, I also um, parted ways with my second manager at that point because I obviously just go through managers like <laughs> nobody's business. Um, no but that was that was no one's fault either and me and her are still friends. It was literally just because she took on a big artist got really busy and I knew she probably didn't have time for me anymore and I didn't even know whether I wanted to be in music anymore so I was like, I'm not going to waste her time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I had these few last sessions um, and I was like, I just did them um, I was still like, pretty depressed about what had happened and I was breaking up with my boyfriend at the time as well and there was a lot of change going on. Um, but I wrote this one song during that time that my now manager <laughs> heard, um, because I wrote it with his brother. Uh-huh. Um, and he basically, his name's Saul, my manager now, one of my managers now, and he um, he literally convinced me that I needed to be a songwriter because I was I was looking at being an air hostess, like I was looking at just leaving the music industry forever. I was so done, <laughs> completely um, different. <laughs> yeah. Um, And uh, he just convinced me that I needed to do it, started putting in a bunch of sessions for me. And then I kind of was like, oh, I'm a songwriter now and I actually am having the best time doing it. And I'm busier than ever. I'm happier than ever. um, I'm more successful. I feel more successful than I've ever felt, even though I I didn't earn any money for all of (laughs) last year. I felt more successful, which was really important to me. And it was a big learning curve in terms of what, makes me happy, um, and what's important to me. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that full time for, um, just over a year now and, um, I'm absolutely loving it. So I, I spend uh, like a day in the life is that I go to a different studio every day. Sometimes I'm with an artist, sometimes I'm not with an artist and we're writing just to sort of pitch, pitch out to other artists. Um, and I write a song every day. Sometimes I write two songs a day. Um sometimes I'm in LA doing it, sometimes I'm in Denmark doing it or Sweden, sometimes I'm in London. I'm all over the place. Um but it's it's a lot of fun. And in December of last year I signed a publishing deal with Sony ATV, which means that I'm officially full-time songwriter at least for the next 3 years. <laughs>
1: Incredible. And and I mean, do you prefer it? Do you think that to to performing?
0: Um I I mean, it's hard to tell because obviously Everything was so skewed at the end of my artist career that I couldn't really see it with clear vision. Um, I have moments where I miss it, um, and I probably will end up doing it again at some point when I feel like I'm ready, because I think, even though I call myself a writer, like I'm always going to be an artist. Like That's just part of who I am. It's part of, like, I, I was singing when I was born kind of thing. You know, it was. it's always been a huge part of me. Um, but the past year has been... Definitely the the most sort of stress free <laughs> since I sort of entered into the music industry. So yeah, I have
1: been I have been happier in general mm-hmm. for sure. And so, any artists who maybe want to get into songwriting, what how how do you suggest they tackle that?
0: Um, it's a difficult one. Obviously, you need to make sure that you have a manager who wants to manage you as a songwriter um and that was something that I was lucky enough to have from the beginning um you probably have already got contacts of people that you can write with so just literally reach out to people that you know like a lot of my sessions come through me just texting artists that I know like for example um Gabrielle Aplin and I have known each other for years like literally like six or seven years now I opened for her on a really early tour um, but, like, I don't see her that often because she's always touring and stuff, and she just texted me the other day, she was like, we should do a session, and I was like, oh yeah, why haven't we thought of that before, like, we should just write, like, you know, and she sent me her new stuff, I sent her my new stuff, and we were like, cool, let's do it when you're back from America, and, like, you know, a lot of sessions, I feel, like, just come naturally through that, and through through your friends, really, yeah. it is kind of just like working with your friends every day that feels like the right thing to do, so. It's pretty fun. And
1: building that network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: networking is a lot, a big part of songwriting, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just being on people's radars, people knowing your name. Um, and it took like, it took quite, it took probably like six months for me to change my reputation in the industry from like a failed artist to a new songwriter and for people to start trusting me to be in the room.
1: So, did everyone see you as a failed artist?
0: Um, I think in my own head, that's how everybody right. saw me. <laughs> Um, but I just know, like, from my own experience, how the music industry reacts, like, if if you get dropped, everybody knows about it, like, people talk about it for, like, a week, but then they've moved on, and, you know, um,
1: it's like high school, it is kind (laughs) of like high
0: school, yeah, um, but I just, I worked every day to try and change my reputation and and to get people to start trusting me, and slowly they did, Mm -hmm. but it, again, patience, like, it took, it took a while, yeah.
1: And, okay, so, you know, now you're, you're a songwriter and you, you know, have kind of a, a different kind of go at having a career in music. Um, and you're much more clued up on the business side of things. We were talking as well about the importance of social media and being quite active on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned about treating your um, Instagram like a CV. Yeah. Which I thought was great. Um, I thought, do you want to maybe share a bit about how you use social media and how you think artists should be using it?
0: Yeah, well, I use it. I I use it quite differently now. that I'm not an artist anymore. Um, I definitely learned how to be really good at it as an artist or definitely like good at what worked for my brand. And I think that's a big part of it is knowing what you're brand is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a bad
1: word, it's not a bad thing. No,
0: I mean, it's just, it's still a weird thing for any artist to treat themselves as the face of a product rather than like an actual human being, but that is what you have to do at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, what worked as an artist was just being super relatable, down to earth, girl next door, kind of who I was, basically. I started doing this at like 13, I was just like a normal 13 year old girl and that that was one of the keys to my success I learned in the end was that people just related to me and I replied to every comment so they felt like we were friends and they felt like they had a hand in the project. So when my first EP was in the iTunes Top 10, people were, that I had never met were saying to their family, like, oh, my friend is in the iTunes Top 10 because they felt like we were
1: mm. Twitter
0: friends, which we were. Like yeah. I was friends with everybody on Twitter and like I still follow a bunch of my earliest fans and we still talk and I've met them in real life now and like that was my the thing that worked for me whereas now as a writer I still am myself I would say but it's it's less important like the brand thing but one thing that I do do and I do see other writers doing is that if I'm if I'm in like a session that I'm excited about I would just take a little Instagram story or whatever and put people's tag people in it so just so because other writers see then oh like she's working with that mm-hmm. artist that's cool maybe I should work, you know, work with her you know it's just so that people always know that you're busy and working with cool people and you still have to keep that up unfortunately but mm-hmm. um, but I think obviously you can get to a point where you don't have to do that anymore but when, when you're new like me and you haven't had like a hit yet then um, I keep doing air quotes today, so many air quotes, but when you haven't had a hit yet, you have to do that, you know, to sort of just keep yourself on people's radar, basically.
1: Yeah, and I want to I wanna now jump to um, mental health, mm-hmm. So I think that's also something that's really been really important, and the discussion is starting to open up about that, um, and you suffered from depression yourself, mm-hmm. and I mean... How do you, what, what did you feel got you through those moments of, of doubt and not feeling like you were good enough and feeling like everything was falling apart?
0: I honestly don't know, and I've actually thought about that a lot because, you know, there were times when it was, like, really dark for me, and I hope you don't mind me talking about it openly, no, but, you know, there were ti- there were times where I was, like, close to ending it and and, like... And it's really weird when you look, when you've been depressed and then you're not depressed anymore because you look back on it and you don't even recognise yourself. You're like, how could I have felt that? Because it's so foreign. It's so foreign to anything. Like, I can't even describe it. Um, but I had, um, luckily I had, my my boyfriend at the time was amazing because his um, his mum is a therapist so he'd grown up like being totally okay with any mental health problems he just treated me like a normal person he knew exactly what to do he's the one who got me to go to the doctor in the first place and get myself um, on antidepressants and um, he was like a big factor in it Um, and obviously my my mum was amazing as well my family were amazing but I mean music wise I really I really couldn't see a way out. That's why I was looking at being an air hostess. And I had this awful moment where I was like, um, I was like four pages into the British Airways application form.
1: Wow, so you actually- <laughs> I was really doing
0: it. Um, and on like the fourth or fifth page, it was like, it was like, it had like this diagram and it was like, if you have any visible tattoos in these places, you cannot apply. And I've got tattoos on my arms and um, I just burst into tears because I was like, oh my God, I've fucked up my music career and now I've got this fucking tattoo so I can't even get a normal job and, like, I've fucked everything. And, like, I was so, it was just everything felt so heavy Mm -hmm. and it was just, like, I could not see a way out. And, you know, obviously now I'm like, of course, I was never going to quit the music industry, but I really did feel like that at the time. Um, it's just a very strange thing. So I don't really know what got me through it, I guess. Um,
1: support network? Yeah,
0: us. we have a support, I had a support network, and we all have that basic human instinct to survive. And I think that's probably
1: mm-hmm.
0: what got me through. Um, and in general, I'm like, I'm a quiet person. I'm not an uh, overly socially confident person but I do have this sort of internal confidence which I've had my whole life which kind of is like the fire in me that pushes me forward every time so I think that little embers of that were still there during the depression and just like kept me going Mm -hmm. Um, but it was it was really really tough for sure.
1: So what would you advise anybody who might be going through something similar?
0: I mean it's so difficult but the the thing that got me out of it was big, scary changes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, actually, another, going back to it, another thing that really helped me, which I learned in the end, was getting dressed every day. That was, like, a big thing for me. Because I was literally just in this apartment. I didn't do anything. So getting up, getting dressed, putting makeup on, going outside sometimes, um, and feeling and trying to create some sort of routine... Was um was really helpful for me too. Um, oh yeah, big scary changes. That's what I was saying. because um, the at the end of that horrible year, um, my boyfriend broke up with me. I left the label. I left my manager, my second manager, and I, It was so scary. Like I really didn't know what I was gonna do with my whole life. But that was very cathartic for me. It was like it meant moving on, meant a new time new feeling for a new time um, and sometimes it has to get worse before it has to get better so that would be like my biggest advice if there's like a big change that you're putting off like just do it
1: mm-hmm. Walk towards. which it. is a
0: hard thing to do when you're depressed and you don't want to do anything but if you can then I would say that for sure
1: amazing and so now you still I'm guessing still a battle of doubt and insecurities and of course. some course some forms um and yeah what about today how, do, how does how do you um
0: i think the past i mean obviously when you um have come out of being depressed you really you really know what rock bottom feels like but you also know then that you've come out of it mm-hmm. and i'm sure that i will have another depressive episode in my life i'm sure that will happen um but i'm hoping that next time it happens it'll be easier because i i will be able to tell myself that i got out of it the first time yeah. and i can do it again um, but of of course now i still have like my daily doubts and insecurities i still get anxious before sessions with people i don't know like mm-hmm. i still even just on a basic social level never mind having to deliver as a top liner as well and yeah. you know come with a great concept and come with great lyrics and come with great melodies and I still have that anxiety and that's like something that I'm working through at the moment. Um, I've just come back from a month long trip in LA and a challenge I set myself on that trip was to not prep because that's something I'm quite bad for or good at, whichever way you look at it, is that I do a lot of prep. So I will like turn up to sessions, sometimes with a full chorus Mm -hmm. written that I've written written at home or sometimes (laughs) with a title. And I felt... Almost the whole LA trip, like all of the like 50 sessions or whatever that I did, I went in blind with nothing and just trusted myself to be good in the room and that was like a really good thing for me, was just, because I came out with great songs, I just trusted myself that I would be able to come up with the idea in the room and I didn't need to like stress myself out on the flight like spending 11 hours writing lyrics or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know? So, yeah, it's it's just, like, daily things that you have to, like, get through one at a time. But in general, I'm, like, so much better now. So Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah. And so what's the best piece of advice you ever received?
0: Oh, um, probably no one cares. (laughs) 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 Amazing. And I think it was actually my friend Johnny who told me that. But he, like, we were just talking about it and we were like, that is like the most liberating thing ever. No one really cares. Like everyone only really cares about themselves. So just focus on doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Don't please other people because they don't care. Like yeah. no one cares about what you're doing. Just as long as it's making you happy and it's fulfilling you creatively, like that is the most important thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's on point. <laughs> I think that's a very good piece of advice. And I think especially that linked with trusting yourself mm-hmm. um, that you were talking about before. Yeah, Really powerful. So, is there a final thought you'd like to leave us with? If there is, you know. Um,
0: yeah, I guess just like believe in yourself. If you, if you are listening to this, you probably already had that initial um, embryo thought that you want to be an artist, and that is the first thing. And if you want to be an artist, then you can be an artist or a writer or whatever you want to be. Um, all you've got to do now is put the work in and keep that belief in yourself. And as long as you believe in yourself, other people are going to believe in you too. Because that really is like an infectious thing. Um, I've learned that over the past year for sure. Um, and also just don't rely on anybody else except yourself. If you want something done, mm-hmm. do it yourself. It's the common saying, isn't it? But it's so true. Um, don't expect things to happen for you. Um, just go out and get it yourself for sure. I feel like that's not a very eloquent final word, but I'm going to leave oh, it there. I think,
1: I think that, that's <laughs> it. So Thank, Thank you so much, Thank you, Nina. Hey, really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you learned something from it, why not share it with a friend who'd also really appreciate the knowledge. I'd also love to hear your thoughts and your feedback and any questions you may have. So feel free to tweet me at Nina Rubessa. I'm also always looking for collaborators and new guests. So if you think you can help, head over to bedauntless.co.uk and send me an email. Till next time.